All right. Well, we are in um, First Thessalonians. We're in First Thessalonians chapter five. So I'll ask you to open your Bibles um, to that passage. I'll read verse one through eleven, but it's a part one. It's a part one message. So um, I'll, I'll, in my preaching, I'll go until I get to the middle of verse five, where it mentions the sons of day, and then I'll stop, and we'll pick up there uh, next time. So, uh, but let me read this uh, passage. Now, as to the times and epochs, brethren. You have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you also are doing. Let me start with a question. Are you watching for Christ's return? Are you watching for Christ's return? Um, he's coming again. He's coming again. So I hope actually, I hope everybody's answer to that question is yes, that you're watching, you're waiting, you're expecting for Christ's return. Let me ask you another question. Let me ask you another question. Are you watching for Christ's return with assurance of your salvation? With assurance of your salvation. In fact, is it because you have assurance of salvation that you're watching for Christ's return? Is, is your assurance of salvation, you know that you're saved, you're certain that you're saved, is that the thing that's driving you all the time to be watchful, to say, Christ is coming, I'm, I'm, I'm watching, I'm expecting that because I know that I'm, I'm saved. I know that I'm saved and so it's a joy to me. It's a, it's a blessed hope to think about uh, Christ is coming uh, soon. So for uh, the Thessalonian believers, their answer to the first question was yes, they were watching for Christ's return. They really were watching for his return. Their answer to the second question was no. They were not watching with assurance. They were actually watching for his return with a lack of assurance, not quite sure what his coming would mean for them. So, yes, they were watchful. Yes, they were watchful for Christ's return, but with the wrong kind of watchfulness. The watchfulness that we're to have, that we're actually commanded to have, is a watchfulness with assurance of uh, for Christ's return, knowing that he's our Savior and that he's able to save and that he's saving uh, us. So they were watchful, but it was the wrong kind of watchfulness, and this was a problem. And the way that problem was beginning to show itself in their Christian life is uh, it was starting to show itself in what looked very much like laziness and sloth. And especially uh, toward their responsibilities in this present age, those were being neglected. Even just mundane ones like going to work uh, and providing for for themselves and for their families was being neglected because of uh, the wrong kind of watchfulness. And so uh, the Thessalonians were starting to do something that looked very much like laziness. It wasn't that. It wasn't, they weren't lazy. 
Um, it was just that their energies were being used elsewhere, like anxiety over the future. And so they're, uh, they started to, uh, live the whole Christian life in that way, not in the power of their father's love for them and, uh, standing that, but, uh, rather in the power of man, in the power of the flesh. And that's the way their watchfulness was. And, uh, they were in danger of the whole Christian life being, uh, in that way. And so not so much lazy, but just exhausted. And that exhaustion was in danger of leading to resentment uh, as well. Well, the Holy Spirit wants you to be watchful for Christ's return with the right kind of watchfulness. With watchfulness that is together with assurance of salvation. And it comes from assurance uh, of uh, salvation. The Holy Spirit wants you to be watchful for Christ's return with watchfulness that doesn't paralyze you toward the responsibilities of this present age, but actually energizes you to meet those responsibilities uh, with boldness, with optimism, with a sense of victory uh, toward the responsibilities of this uh, present time. And the Holy Spirit wants you to know about the day of the Lord. And that's what this passage is about. It's about uh, the day of the Lord. And uh, we'll look at the first half of this passage that I read. And I've divided the message into three simple parts. First, we'll look at the timing of the day of the Lord. That's verses 1 and 2. Second, the character of the day of the Lord. That's verse 3. And third, what I've called the personal impact of the day of the Lord, and that's verses four and five. So the timing of the day of the Lord, the character of the day of the Lord, and the personal impact of the day of the Lord. And first is the timing, verse one. Now, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. As to the times and the epochs, you have no need of anything to be written to you. And uh, the reason they didn't need anything written to them about the times and the epochs of the day of the Lord, that's what it's uh, going to talk about, is because they'd already been instructed before and instructed well, and they remembered it. Um, Paul and Silas and Timothy founded the church in Thessalonica just about a year before this letter was uh, written. They spent a short time there, a, a remarkably short time there, maybe just several months founding uh, the church, and yet they were able to teach and cover basically the whole basics of the Christian life, including uh, what's to come. And uh, they covered it well. And so Paul says, when it comes to times and epochs about what's to come in the future, you have no uh, need of anything to be written to you. He uses two words for time here. It's not just for the sake of variety. They mean slightly different um, things as to the times and uh, the epochs. Two different uh, Greek words. The first one is uh, chronos. And the second one is kairos. And uh, the first one, chronos, has to do with a, a quantity of time as it flows one moment uh, to the next in sequence, this before that. Uh, it's the kind of time that is measured. Uh, the other word for time, epochs or seasons, uh, speaks of the quality of time. So the first word would be like, if you ask somebody what time is it, you'd use the first word. But if you ask somebody the second word like, Did you have a good time tonight? You lose the second. It refers to the kind of time, to uh, 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 the season. And so uh, when it came to the future events and uh, the future times, and especially uh, the day of uh, the Lord, the Thessalonian believers understood this well. They understood the sequence, the chronos. That's the first. They understood what events would happen uh, in sequence, and they understood what kind of events were coming, what the times would be like 
in uh, the future. They had a good idea. And so uh, Paul, uh, in effect, uh, says to them, when you think about the future events um, and when you think about what those times of the future will be like, you've got the right idea in your mind. I have nothing to correct. It is going to be the way in which you think it is going to be. And so as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written uh, uh, to you. So uh, to my uh, outline, back to my outline to zoom out uh, for the day of uh, the Lord, he's going to speak to them first about the timing. Verse 1 and 2, that's what the first word is about. Then he's going to speak to them about the character of the day of the Lord, and, in, and that's in verse 3. And in all of that, he's going to just confirm what they believe. He's going to say what you believe is true. You don't have any need for anybody to write to you about those things. And it's not going to be until we get to the last part, verse 4 and 5, the personal impact. How is the day of the Lord going to affect you personally? That he's going to tell them you're wrong. You do need somebody to write to you. I need to correct what you think uh, about this. So in, in the first three verses, he's just uh, confirming us to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Um, he talks about the timing. First, he says it negatively. You don't need any further instruction. You don't need anybody to write to you about uh, the timing of the day of the Lord. And then he says it positively. You know perfectly well about the timing of the day of the Lord. And here's what you, you know full well, that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. The day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. And so when you think about the sequence of uh, the timing, that's how the day, of the, Lord is, the day of the Lord is going to come, just like a thief in the night. In other words, unexpectedly, you're not going to know. You're not going to have any advance warning. There's going to be no way uh, to predict when that event is going to take place. The Lord Jesus said, no, one, no man knows the day or the hour. And uh, the Lord used this metaphor, kind of a striking metaphor of the thief in the night. That's the way in which a thief comes. He doesn't uh, leave a note or a card or a voicemail. Uh, I'm going to be coming by at 2.45 a.m. Uh, no, the thief just comes. He comes unexpectedly. He doesn't want uh, to be anticipated. And uh, the Lord says, well, it says here, that's the way in which the day of the Lord is going to come. Just like uh, a thief in the night. The Lord Jesus himself used this picture of the thief, Matthew 24, verse 43. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not think he will. He says this to his disciples. You're not going to know. You're not going to know. Uh, even for you, it's gonna, his coming is going to be like the coming of a thief in the night in the sense that uh, it's going to come unannounced and uh, you're not going to be able to predict the moment at which uh, he comes. And that's what Paul says here. And they already know this. He's just confirming it. They know it perfectly well. They know it accurately that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. So let me ask this question. It's an important one for this message and it's an important one for uh, our study of First Thessalonians and Second uh, Thessalonians. What is the day of the Lord? It's, it's mentioned here. It's mentioned here. You know full well the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. So what is the day of the Lord? And it has a very long and rich Old Testament background. The day of the Lord. A lot of the prophets speak about the day of um, 
the day of the Lord. Um, let me give it, I won't quote a bunch of verses, but let me give a, a good definition uh, that I've read uh, for the day of the Lord. It's the day when God will intervene in history to vindicate his chosen people, destroy his enemies, and establish his kingdom. It's the day of the Lord. It's the day when the Lord intervenes in history to vindicate his people, destroy his enemies, and establish his kingdom. And so God rules, even in this sinful world, but he, he rules from behind the scenes. He's sovereign, kind of ruling with an invisible hand. But there's a day coming, and the prophets even in the Old Testament were talking about this, when the one who's ruling from behind the scenes is going to step out onto the stage and he's going to step into the spotlight of world history and he's going to rule in the world. And that is spoken of as the day of the Lord. Now, let me ask this question further because it's important, especially in figuring out the details of uh, the end times. Is the day of the Lord a 24-hour day or is it more of a time period? Is it more of a time uh, period? And uh, in Hebrew... As in English, the word day can be and often is used for either of those. It can be used for a 24-hour day, or it can also be used for a time period. And so we talk like that, Um, talk about back in the day of radio or back in the day of the horse and buggy, uh, that sort of thing. Or sometimes people just say back in the day, you know, and they're not referring to a 24-hour day, but um, uh, a time period. And especially um, for... Someone who's uh, reigning as a king or presiding as a president you might say in the day of FDR, you know, and we would know what that is. That's maybe the 30s um, and the 40s or the day of Truman. And that's the day in the time period in which they were uh, the leader of um, uh, of our country. So what is meant by the day of uh, the Lord? Um, which is meant? Which is meant. Someday Christ is going to return to earth as king. He's going to return on a white horse. It's spoken of in uh, Revelation. His feet are going to touch down on the Mount of Olives, which is the place where he ascended uh, from. There's going to be a battle that takes place there, a quick battle. It's the battle of uh, Armageddon, and this world will never be uh, the same. Um, Is this day of the Lord a reference to that day? In which his feet touch down on the Mount uh, of Olives, and he returns as uh, King of Kings and uh, and 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 Lord of Lords, because it will be a day. It will be a 24-hour day. Is that what the Day of the Lord means? And uh, let me submit to you, and I'll, I'll argue for it a little bit um, as well, that the Day of the Lord is not a reference to that 24-hour day. There will be a 24-hour day when that uh, happens. But uh, the day of the Lord, as it's spoken of in uh, scripture, is rather a reference to a time uh, period. The day of Christ's return, when he comes uh, as uh, King of Kings and uh, Lord of Lords, is going to be preceded by an important seven-year period. It's called the Great Tribulation uh, in scripture, but it's full of certain unmistakably obvious and public events. And uh, some of them are even numbered kind of to the day of how they correspond to the Christ's uh, return on uh, the earth. So you could count from uh, one to uh, uh, the other. And so uh, the day of the Lord is a time period that includes the seven years leading up to it. It includes that time. It's going to be a time of uh, when the Lord pours his judgment out 
uh, upon the earth, a time of great uh, tribulation. And the day of the Lord includes that time. It also includes uh, the time after that, when Christ reigns for a thousand years on the earth as King of Kings and uh, Lord of Lords. Um, you can see that. I won't, I won't point you to all that. We're more concerned with the front end of the day of the Lord, but uh, it includes the 1,000 year reign of Christ in, in the book of Zephaniah, which is very much about the day of the Lord. It speaks of the day as a, as a long time period of blessing on uh, the earth as the day of the Lord. Second Peter chapter three, verse 10 talks about the day of the Lord in which the elements are going to melt with fervent heat. And that happens at the end of the 1,000 year reign of uh, Christ. And so it's a time period. It's actually a, I guess, a 1,007 year time period. It's going to be the day when the Lord steps out onto the stage of human history and suddenly uh, acts. And that time period, the seven years leading up to Christ's return on the earth, this time covered by Revelation, the great judgments on the earth, the trumpets, the bowls, uh, the seals. Um, that seven-year period has a sudden onset. It's going to start quickly. It's going to come, is what Paul says, you yourselves know what, full well that the day of the Lord, that day, comes just like a thief in the night. And so that seven-year tribulation, that's the beginning of this day of the Lord's uh, special reign. It's There's no way of predicting it in advance. It's going to come just like a thief in the night. It's going to happen suddenly. Now, there's a question that I think we're interested in, um, and that is, how does this event called the rapture, uh, uh, catching up of uh, the saints into the air, it's in at the end of chapter four, we looked at it, how does it relate to the day of the Lord? Does it happen at the beginning of that seven-year uh, time period, uh, which is what I uh, believe, or does it happen when Christ, at the end of the seven-year time period, when Christ returns to the earth. This doesn't say. It just says the day of the Lord. That time period begins suddenly. It doesn't say. Uh, we'll come back to that question at the end and see if we can make some sense uh, by asking what is it that the Thessalonians really were fearing about uh, the day of the Lord? So let me try to catch that thread when uh, we come to it. But the, the day of the Lord, the beginning of that time period is really that seven year um Tribulation, and as to its timing, that's the first point in uh, my message. The Thessalonians already knew perfectly well; they didn't have any questions about this, and they didn't have any errors about this. That that period, that time period, starts suddenly, starts suddenly and unexpectedly, and without being preceded by any signs or any warning. And Paul is confirming that here. You're right about that. Uh, he says, "You know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night." Well, that's the timing of the day of the Lord. How about the character of the day of the Lord, and especially right when it comes? What will that be like? Well, they were right about that too. They knew uh, about that, and uh, he describes that in verse uh, three. Here's what it'll be like. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not uh, escape. So uh, Paul ends up describing the character of two time periods because he describes the time uh, when the day of the Lord comes suddenly, what that time period is like. It's the time we're living in now, uh, the time right before the day of the Lord uh, comes. And then he describes what the day of the Lord itself, or the beginning of it, 
will uh, be like uh, as well. And so the first thing he describes is, is the time in which the day of the Lord is suddenly going to come. And it's going to come while they are saying peace and safety. That's going to describe this uh, time. Now, don't be fooled by this description because peace and safety don't characterize this time. It's what they're saying. It's, it's more the sloganeering than an actual description of the time period. The Lord Jesus says that the times that uh, lead up to the time of the end are going to be a time of famines and earthquakes in various places where nation rises up against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be wars and uh, rumors of wars. But the time right before the day of the Lord uh, comes will be a time when they, and that's the wicked, it's actually the powers that be, are saying, are promising everyone peace and safety. Um, one uh, commentator, I thought, put it well. These words need not describe idyllic times, but arrogant or self-deceived people. They're going to be saying this uh, uh, deceptive, deceptively. So uh, it'll be a time when the powers that be are saying peace and uh, uh, security. And uh, before the day of the Lord, it's going to be a time when the nations that are competing, and that's what God set up uh, to uh, restrain uh, sin, are going to begin to coalesce into a single world power uh, to have an all-encompassing uh, authority. And during that seven-year time period, when God's wrath is poured out uh, on the earth, Satan is actually going to be empowered to have a one-world uh, government under the Antichrist during that time. His his uh, man, his substitute for um, Christ. That one world government won't happen before the day of the Lord uh, comes uh, and that period of uh, tribulation uh, comes, but it's going to start to happen. It's going to start to happen. In fact, uh, scripture says uh, to us that the spirit of Antichrist is already at work. There's something that's restraining it until uh, the day of the Lord actually arrives and then Satan is set free for his final uh, stand. Um, uh, but uh, the day of the Lord, uh, or, or I should say the spirit of Antichrist is already at work and it, as uh, the day of the Lord is about to come, uh, those powers are uh, coalescing. And this is their appeal, peace and safety, security. It's interesting what their slogan is not. They're not uh, offering uh, truth, freedom, responsibility. No, it's security. We'll take care of everything uh, that you need. You can have a life where you don't have to stick your neck out. You don't have to take any risks as long as you don't believe anything. We'll take care of everything. Peace and security. That's what's uh, being offered by uh, the powers that be. They're telling people to relate to them as children to parents, or rather as slaves to masters, uh, offering them security uh, in this way, and yet it's a deceptive uh, security. And so in the, in the midst of that uh, uh, security, suddenly the day of the Lord is going to arrive like uh, a thief in the night, and here's it's going to be its uh, character. Then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. There was a really vivid picture given for the timing of the arrival of the day of the Lord. It's going to arrive just like a thief in the night. It's going to arrive suddenly. There's another vivid picture for the character of the day of the Lord, what it's going to be like when it arrives uh, and it's labor pains 
upon a woman with a child. And uh, one commentator put it this way. He said, there's three things implied in this comparison. Inevitable certainty, suddenness, and intense pain. And so labor pains, off, they're expected to come uh, at some point. They often come suddenly. And when it happens, it's a it begins an inevitable process. A baby is going to end up being uh, born. And the pain that came and announced its arrival at the beginning is going to increase. That's what this seven-year period is going uh, to be like on uh, the earth. And for those who are caught in it, who are caught in this seven-year time period, it's going to be like falling into a trap. And that's the way it's described here. Or like labor pains coming upon a woman with child and they will not uh, escape. The Lord Jesus described it as uh, like, a, like a trap. Luke chapter 21 and verse uh, 34. Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. And so that's the way in which uh, the day of the Lord, the character of it, when it comes, it's going to be like a trap for those caught in it and they will not uh, escape. For the wicked, those seven years on earth are going to be like a foretaste of hell on earth. It's going to be like a little portion of hell being poured out on earth as the judgments of the Lord that lead up to his return are poured out on the earth. It's going to be like that, except it's actually going to purify the earth. But uh, for the wicked who are, are in that time period, it really will be a foretaste of hell uh, on earth. Sometimes uh, the end times and, and the seven-year time period leading up to it are kind of portrayed like a, like a safety valve so that somebody might say, well, you know, I'm not a Christian now. I'm putting it off. But if I start seeing prophecy fulfilled and these seven years coming to pass, just like is written in uh, Revelation, then I'll repent. Then I'll repent. Then I'll turn to uh, the Lord. And uh, that's not the way in which it's described in Scripture. It's not described as an insurance policy or a safety valve. In fact, the people that are caught in it are going to be begging for the rocks and the hills to fall on them, to kill them, to hide them from the wrath of God. Uh, They're going to be experiencing all kinds of judgments and even then not repenting. And so shaking their fist at the Lord, kind of with eyes wide open. Uh, it's going to be uh, a time when it says in Second uh, Thessalonians, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. And so the deception that's going to go on there, it's actually going to be empowered by God even to uh, deceive. And so it's, it's like a trap being sprung on those who aren't ready for this uh, day when it uh, suddenly uh, arrives. Now, many will be saved during that seven-year time period. In fact, a great multitude are going to be saved during that seven-year time period, most of whom will be uh, martyred. But I wonder, I wonder, I can't be sure about this, I wonder if there'll be those who have never heard the gospel before, rather than those who have rejected it, and then the day of the Lord uh, comes upon them. Maybe not. The Lord is the Lord is gracious. The Lord is uh, more gracious than we can even uh, imagine. But certainly waiting for this day is not spoken of as a insurance policy or a second chance. It's spoken of as when it comes, it's too late. It's too late. It's going to come uh, like a thief. And if you're caught in it, it's going to be like you're caught in a trap. And so the message uh, that the, the Bible uh, presents throughout is be ready now. Be ready now. If you don't belong to Christ today, don't put it off. 
don't put it off. Today is the day of salvation. If you don't belong to Christ, even the things that you think are the best part of you, the things that are the best about uh, yourself, Scripture says, uh, are actually a disguise for a very deep inborn rebellion against God and one that uh, you will uh, pay in perfect justice for all of eternity for your sins unless you turn Abandon all hope of yourself and turn to Christ and to the substitute of the one who died for uh, sinners and you will find salvation in, uh, in him. So Paul says about the timing of the day of the Lord, you Thessalonians have it just right. You know it perfectly. You don't need anybody to write to you about it because you know already that it's coming like a thief in the night. As to the character of the day uh, of the Lord, also you don't need anyone uh, to write to you. Uh, about that, you know that it's coming as sudden destruction. And those who are caught in it, unprepared, are uh, uh, going to be as if they're caught in a trap. And what they're least expecting is going to uh, happen to them, and they will not escape. The third part is the personal impact of the day of the Lord. And here's where Paul needed to uh, correct the uh, Thessalonians. For the for how the day of the Lord, when it comes, would affect them. The Thessalonians desperately needed somebody to write to them about it. They were mistaken about it. And maybe you need someone to write to you about it, too. And what Paul says here is very tender. It's very loving. It's a word of assurance that he gives in verse 4 and 5. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you all are sons of light, and sons of day. He gives them a word of assurance. He tells them, when the day of the Lord comes, it's not going to be a a harmful thing uh, for you. You are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you all are sons of light and sons of uh, day. In fact, he says in verse 5, you are all sons of light and sons of day. You might think he's a little presumptuous to write to this church uh, that he's known for less than a year. He spent uh, three months of time with them. He writes to the church and he says, I want you to know when you think about the day of the Lord and how it's going to affect you when it comes, you're all sons of light and you're sons of uh, day. And uh, you need you need to know this uh, about, you need to be assured of this. And so he gives them a real word of comfort, these believers uh, with reference to this uh, day. And he uses a play on words. He uses a, a good uh, play on words. He tells him, listen, you're not in darkness because actually you're sons of light. You're sons of light, not darkness. And he uses a synonym for it, sons of day. Sons of day. And of course, that's the same word as the day of the Lord. It's kind of like light. It's kind of like not being in darkness, but it's also like the day of the Lord. And so he says, look, when the day of the Lord dawns, in fact, when it suddenly begins to dawn, it's going to be like an age in which you belong. It's it's going to your sons of day, your sons of the day of the Lord. You already belong to the Lord, and so when His day comes, it's not going to be wrath and uh, destruction for uh, for you. Well, He says something here that I want to pay a little attention to, and it's about what it means for them not to be in darkness when the day of the Lord comes, but to be sons of light. And uh, sons of day, he says, brethren, you're not in darkness. And here's what that means. Uh, if you were in darkness, the day would overtake you like a thief. But you're not. You're not. So you're not in darkness as if the day would overtake you like a thief. So what does it mean for them that the day of the Lord, when it comes, won't overtake them as a thief would uh, overtake them? 
And uh, I want to kind of pause on this word uh, for a moment because I, I think it's important for figuring all of this out about the end times. The word overtake, overtake. You Christians, he says, the day of the Lord isn't going to overtake you uh, like a thief would do. The word overtake here, it's a great translation because in Greek, it's that it's the same word over. It's the word over and the word take put together. It's the word overtake. Um, it's a very common word, as you might guess. Um, and it kind of has a broad range of uh, meaning. But here what it means, and, and as a thief would uh, over, overtake you, it means to catch. It means to grasp with force in order to do harm. In fact, it's used to speak of what a predator does to prey. They come up from behind them and they overtake the prey, like a, like a lion with a zebra or something like that. Um, they overtake the prey and they harm the prey, of course when they uh, overtake them. And so uh, he says to them that the day of the Lord is going to come, but it's not going to overtake you. It's not going to seize you for harm uh, as a thief would uh, do. He's not saying here, he's not saying here that the timing of the day of the Lord isn't going to surprise you. It is going to surprise believers just as much as it's going to surprise unbelievers. It's going to come like a thief in the night as to its timing. But he wants them to know, yes, it's going to come like a thief in the night as to its uh, coming, but it's not going to harm you like a thief would do. When it comes surprised as the time, you can't uh, predict it. For you believers who are not uh, son, not in darkness, but are rather sons of light and sons uh, of day, the day of the Lord when it comes uh, is not going to uh, harm you uh, as a thief uh, would do. So you're going to be surprised about the timing, but you're not going to be harmed by the day of the Lord when uh, it comes. And so he uh, assures them uh, of that. So let me ask a question then, if, I, if you're still with me. Uh, a question that we're interested in as far as uh, thinking about what's to come, what we should be expecting with um, the day of uh, the Lord. And that has to do with the timing of the rapture, the timing of, of the church being caught up to meet the Lord in the air that's spoken of at the end of chapter 4. It doesn't say, it just says that the day of the Lord, that seven-year time period leading up to the Lord's uh, return, is going to come suddenly and it's not going to bring harm to uh, believers. But let me ask this uh, question. What were the Thessalonians afraid of when they looked towards the day of the Lord and they were kind of fearful uh, about it and without um, assurance of salvation? They had all the sequence right. They knew, they knew, they knew it. But uh, they were afraid of being caught in the day of the Lord in that seven year uh, time period. And I don't think they were afraid because they were afraid to suffer through the difficulties of that time. I think they were afraid of what being going through that time period would indicate about their souls. And I think they knew that it would indicate that they're not saved if they go through that time period, because I think the rapture happens at the beginning of that uh, time uh, period. So I think they're afraid of, of saying, we're trying to be Christians here in Thessalonica, but maybe we're not doing it right. Maybe we're not doing it right. And so when Christ comes at the beginning of the day of the Lord for his whole church in places other than uh, Thessalonica, maybe he's going to miss us. Maybe maybe we're not really, we maybe we don't really uh, belong to him. And so maybe the day of the Lord is going to start 
and we're going to go right into it without uh, being caught up to meet uh, the Lord in the air. In fact, maybe that moment is past. He's already come. He's already come for Christians uh, everywhere, but not for uh, us. And so Paul writes to them to encourage them to the right kind of watchfulness, watchfulness with assurance. Be assured. Yes, the day of the Lord is going to come. It's going to be just like you think on the earth. It's going to come just as suddenly uh, as you think, but you need to watch for it with assurance because it's going to come like a thief in the night, but it's not going to harm you. It's not going to harm you because you belong to Christ. You haven't been destined for wrath. You've been destined for salvation, and so you need to watch for it with uh, the right kind of watchfulness as sons of the day, those who belong to the day of the Lord and not as those who are in darkness. So he's called them, he's assured them, you need to wait for the day of the Lord as sons of the day. It's already kind of a play on words with uh, the day of the Lord. And uh, next time we'll look at as Paul continues in this really wonderful passage, he's going to make it even more of a play on words because he's going to say, you're sons of the day. And that's why you need to engage in daytime behavior, not nighttime behavior like uh, like drunkenness and what people like to do uh, at night. But you need to act like who you are, and that is uh, to be sons uh, of day. You need to put on the behaviors of the day, not in order to be sons of day, but because you are sons of day. You are uh, sons of day in Christ. So Paul reminds them of who they are, to the right kind of watchfulness based on who they are as uh, believers in Christ, as Christians, as sons of light, and of sons of day. Here we are at the Lord's table, and it's also uh, an opportunity uh, that we're commanded of to be reminded of who you are. Reminded of who you are in Christ, and who you are by faith here uh, at the Lord's uh, table. I was looking at books the other day, and there's a book that caught my eye, um, a secular book. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. The Body Keeps the Score. And uh, I, I haven't read the book, but what it's about is uh, when you suppress or ignore trauma, that's the way it's put, uh, for the book, your body doesn't. And so you try to put things, put things away, and your body keeps the score. And it comes out in different ways. And so I think the book teaches you to uh, to listen to your body. I think there's a workbook on it uh, as well. And it's probably useful at some level, probably about the best wisdom that the world has to offer uh, in, in something like that. But let me tell you something that you will never hear from that book. And, uh, and that is something that Christ is going to tell you at this table. And that is, my body is for you. Christ says, my body is for you. The body keeps the score. Yes, Christ's body keeps uh, the score. And that's uh, why it says uh, in scripture about Christ, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity and the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. So you believe what Christ uh, tells you? By taking him at his word, taking him at his word when he tells you who you really are. My body is for you. When I suffered and died, it was for your sins. It's so that your guilt might fall upon me, so that you might be uh, forgiven, and so that you might know who you really are in me. You're a creature. You're a sinner. You're adopted. 
You're forgiven of your sins. You're alive with resurrection power that comes from Christ's body. You're a member of the body of Christ together uh, with other believers, and you're a child of day. You're a child of the day. We're all of that in Christ, in union with his body, and we're united to him by faith. Let's, let's bow together in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have nothing to fear when we look to uh, the future. We're thankful that you guide us to assurance and that this assurance informs a, a right kind of fear, a reverence, a wonderful reverence uh, that we are to have uh, towards you, not uh, fearing your wrath, but delighting to fear your name, to walk in fear uh, of your name. We thank you that this is all ours because of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he bled and he died on the cross uh, in our place to die for our sins and in order to give us his uh, life. We pray that we might be watchful for his return, eagerly watchful for his return in such a way that would give us boldness for the tasks at hand uh, that you have given us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.